Welcome to Hunting Land. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. I'm Clint Flowers here with my co-host Joe Baya. Joe, did you get out in the woods last weekend? I did. I did. It was a muzzleloader season down here in Florida and uh, real, had some really nice cool temperatures. And uh, man, I'm still catching up. I, didn't, I did not have a uh, much time preseason, so I was still hanging some ladder stands and um, getting things ready, but I had a real good weekend showing my, my three-year-old the ropes and uh, got him his, his first 22 rifle. And we, we did a little, little plinking and he seemed to enjoy that and uh, saw, got to see some deer and he got to stick his head out of the shooting house and, and say, daddy, there's a deer. Uh, so <laughs> it was, it was a good weekend. How about you? Yeah. You know, Mason's seven and, and he's really into anything outdoors. So we, uh, we were able to get a few ducks one morning we got a raccoon, we got a hog and we ended our weekend on a really old buck that walked out in front of us, another one. And uh, he weighed in at 220 pounds Sunday evening. So I don't know what they've been eating in the last year, but our deer, the older bucks have seen to have jumped weight classes by about 30 pounds. Man, that's amazing. You've got some obese deer at your place. That is a, <laughs> that's a big deer for Alabama, man. That 220 pounds. I bet you had a, a time getting him in the back of the truck. Yeah, I had to do a little redneck engineer, and I uh, hooked him to a logging chain, dragged him to a ditch about a quarter mile away, backed my truck into the ditch to get the tailgate lower, and then uh, dragged him on in. Hard to pick up a 220-pound deer by yourself when your only assistance is a seven-year-old in a three-year-old lab. Well, I know we had a, an awesome bumper crop of acorns, and I'm sure that that helped, uh, is helping your weight, your body weight some, but I mean, are those deer keyed up on, on those, uh, that hard mass or are they out in the food plots? Where are you, where are you seeing your activity? They were out in the food plot. I mean, we've got a lot of acorns that, that came, you know, that, that landed early because of the hurricane blowing them down, but we've also had a bumper crop too. So I'm really surprised at seeing these older deer come on out into the food plots this early. So I'm, I'm a little perplexed by that, but it's nice to have them too. Yeah. Have you been playing around with that HuntWise app? I, I've been uh, I've been paying close attention to the that HuntCast feature when we talked about it a couple shows ago. And it's really been interesting to pay attention to what they're picking as, as the best times to hunt and, and the good days to hunt because it hasn't always been intuitive. A lot of it, I've, I've thought it was going to be good just because, you know, cooler temperatures and whatnot, and that's not when they're picking. But it's been interesting to me to look at the different factors that play into that algorithm and um, I've been using that a lot and, and I have, I can say I have seen deer pretty much every, at every peak period that, that, that hunt cast feature has said that they would be moving well. Are you, have you played with that at all? Yeah, I, I paid attention to it. Like on the mornings that we duck hunted, you know, just to see what kind of activity we saw to and from the blind there. And it was spot on because when our deer are moving in our area, it's pretty obvious you'll see them on the roads and things like that as you move to and, and through the property. And on top of that, the, the Saturday afternoon, we saw over 40 deer and it was one of those perfect days and it was cold and clear and no wind, but it was on the flip side of that, we had a really full moon um, or almost full. And so logic would be that they wouldn't be out there at two 30 in the afternoon to four 30. Um, that they'd be, if they came in at all, they'd be coming in right at dark. But I kind of followed the app and said, well, let's get on out there early. And lo and behold, it did exactly what they said it was going to do. And then Sunday as well, uh, it was rainy and overcast and just didn't feel like a good deer hunting day. And, you know, I was really kind of angling for getting on home early and, 
uh, getting ready for school and that kind of stuff. And Mason just begged me to stay. So we went and same thing within 30 minutes of sitting down, uh, deer in the field, two bucks came in, one of which was the old mature deer that we took out. And, uh, you know, I was, I was proven wrong because, you know, all the logic that I've had ingrained in me for so long when I've kind of followed that lead, it, it, it worked. So I've been really impressed with it. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm really excited. You know, so far it's been recommending, you know, early, early morning, late afternoon as peak times, but I'm really excited to see when, you know, when they pick one of those middle of the day hunts, I'm going to go give it a shot, you know, and see, um, see if it proves true. It's been really, really, really interesting, but man, we gotta, we gotta get into this week's show. It's going to be a, an interesting show this week because one of the things you deal with, and we deal with a lot uh, with, with recreational properties, timberland properties, is the fact that you're just not there all the time. And we're going to get into really how to keep people off your property. Uh, that should be the first goal is, is keeping them off, but then also uh, what to do if you find someone on your property and how to handle that situation best. We're going to be doing that a little bit later in the show. Before we get there, let's hear from this week's sponsor. And this week's show is brought to you by SunSouth. If you're even thinking about a new tractor or outdoor equipment, don't miss the year-end sales event at SunSouth. You can save thousands on a new John Deere with 0% financing and payments under $250 a month on select models like the John Deere 1025R compact utility tractor and loader with 0% financing and low monthly payment. Or for larger jobs, drive off in a John Deere 3025E with a loader from SunSouth for only $234 a month. And again, 0% financing. John Deere Gators are on sale, including the 590M, outdoor equipment, parts, service, accessories. SunSouth has you covered. It's all on sale now during the year-end sales event. Own the best for less. Visit SunSouth for quality John Deere equipment you've been dreaming of or visit sunsouth.com. SunSouth, for those that do, offers expired December 31st, 2020. Some restrictions apply. All right, guys, I want you to do something for me real quick. If you would like for us to email you the podcast each week, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You can join our email list there and you'll get our new show as soon as it's ready each week. Well, Clint, we talked about it a little bit before, you know, have you ever had a deal with trespassers on your property? Fortunately, no. I've had some clients that have, and but usually it's on, on accident. Many times it's just people don't have sufficient signs or anything else, just kind of letting people know they don't have boundary lines established, things like that. But we've had a few episodes through the years with, I guess say you'd say malicious intent, but more times than not, it's just really people not really knowing how to let people know they're in the wrong to start with. Right. Well, you know, the first goal of the show is going to be to establish how to keep people off your property. And then we're going to get into how we can catch trespassers who already are. And then the last thing is what to do, those steps you need to take if you catch someone, because that can be an intense situation. If, if you find someone, catch someone trespassing, being full of testosterone, you, you're going to want to be aggressive, but we're going to talk about how to handle that the best way for you, for your family, for your land. To help us do that, this week, our guest is Josh Pfeiffer. Josh is the founder and CEO of Barn Owl Tech which is a leading security camera manufacturer. Josh, welcome to Huntland. Before we get into today's tips for dealing with trespassers, tell us a little bit about Barn Owl. 
Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. I grew up on large livestock ranches in Wyoming and Nebraska, and then I've uh, been in the Air Force for 17 years now, 12 years active, and five years of reserves. And I grew up with the problem of monitoring and managing assets that are spread out over dozens of square miles. Because if you've been out to flat Wyoming country, you know, these these ranches are sometimes hundreds of square miles. So it's it's uh, pretty painful to drive around for hours a day just to look at things like water tanks and windmills. So I found a barn owl to help my friends and family be able to monitor their remote and rural assets. Uh, honestly, we didn't start in cameras. We started in remote sensors, uh, what we call IoT sensors, uh, mainly focused on water resources. And we had some pretty good products to help uh, ranchers monitor their remote water resources. But at the end of the day, they're like, ah, it's nice, but we'd rather just have cameras so we can see a picture. So that was about three years ago now. And we we pivoted into remote camera systems and which has been really good. You know, our customers love it and it, it opens up a lot of opportunity for us to include things like uh, helping monitor hunting land and helping ranchers and farmers monitor their assets. We're now working with the Air Force to help provide base security for Air Force bases. And yeah, so kind of remote monitoring surveillance is, is what we're really uh, good at. So when you, you were growing up, y'all were more concerned, you know, with managing the, those livestock assets and, and what you needed to take care of, the, of that livestock. And today we're really going to be talking about people, managing people, keeping people off your property, catching people that are already on your property. Besides obvious reasons like theft, is there anything else landowners need to be aware of with regards to trespassing? I mean, for example, like, you know, can a trespasser sue you or something like that? If they were on your property and were to get injured, I saw, I saw something on social media this morning, a guy was posted up a picture of an old well uh, on a property that he had found. Have you ever heard of that? Like, I mean, I've heard some horror stories, but I don't, you know, I don't know if they're true or not. I mean, can some, can a trespasser do anything to you uh, if they're on your property and, and get injured? Uh, unfortunately, I would say it's possible, right? You know, sometimes it comes down to who has the best lawyer. The, the laws are going to vary by state and there's a lot of, it depends in that question. But I would say if you have something dangerous on your property, like you said, like a hidden well that's you know, covered with bush and you can't see it and somebody walks into it, especially if your property is not clearly marked, then potentially uh, you could be in some trouble if something happens. Yeah, I think another thing we run into a lot on hunting land is, you know, guys, maybe they shoot a deer and it runs onto your property. And the issue I see there is that a, a lot of, of serial trespassers, they know that all they've got to do is say, oh, I'm just tracking a deer. And you won't really have any way to prove that they aren't. But, you know, you start to see evidence of repeated offense, you know, repeated trespassing. That's when doing these things that we're going to get into come into play. So let's first talk about keeping trespassers off in the first place. What does someone do? We work with a lot of people who buy or buying land for the first time. They've never had to deal with anything like this. So what would you say to someone who wants to secure a rural property from trespassing? What, what things do they need to do? Yeah, when it comes to securing any property, there's both overt and covert measures, right? And so, you know, first and most importantly is keeping people off your land, which comes to the, the overt, right? Make sure the land is clearly marked. Make sure you have signs that trespassing is not allowed. Make sure the boundaries are clearly marked. You know, if you can afford a fence or it makes sense for the size of property, put up some type of fence or you can put up natural barriers such as vegetation and trees. 
and also use the other covert measures, put up signs that, you know, the property is under camera surveillance and probably actually put some visible cameras around the perimeter of your property to let everybody know that it's not just a sign. Yes, there actually are cameras on your land. A few other things, you know, it's really important that you know your neighbors, become good friends with your neighbors, even if it's a remote hunting property, make good friends with your neighbors and return the favor to them. Let them know that you're watching out for their land and they'll help you watch out for your land. And then, you know, if you have the opportunity get to know your local game warden or your local conservation officer or whoever the other local law enforcement is, because there's nothing like good friends on the good side to to help you uh, keep an eye on your property. Yeah, I'd be interesting to know, you know, it'd be interesting to know with the trespassing that happens, how much of that comes from a neighbor versus, you know, other individuals trying to get on a property. And I've heard people talk about they're going to lay down spike strips and do all this kind of stuff, you know, to stop somebody coming in on a, a, you can see it pretty easily. People take an ATV and go around a gate or, you know, they're using these access points to get in. That just, all that just seems unnecessary to me. I mean, there's no reason, in my opinion, with trespassing, you always hear people talking about resorting to violence and these things. Like, it's just not necessary. There's got to be some ways to to secure your property uh, that don't require all that. And, you know, one of the things that is different, especially I, I would imagine out West are trespassing laws. So, you probably work with guys from all over the country. Do, do those trespassing laws differ by state? Yeah, there's some there's some pretty co- a big commonality between the states, but it certainly does vary state to state. Some states require the land to be clearly marked. Some don't. There's some resources you can use online to figure out your specific state laws. There's a website called findlaw.com. has a pretty good table of um, kind of the general laws for state to state and hunting property and what is considered trespassing and what isn't. But it it's definitely uh, would behoove the landowners to to know the laws for their specific states for sure. All right. Now you mentioned you know previously setting up cameras, and you were talking about covert and overt. One of the things that I've always been, I guess, not sure of is you see these signs that say you know this property is under surveillance. If you're trying to prevent trespassers and you're wanting to set up trail cameras to do that, do you want those cameras, those security cameras to be visible? Or do you just want to notify that the property is under surveillance? Or is there any strategy to that? Yeah, I I think you do. You might not want to put your most expensive trail cameras right there next to the gate, right? But I think you want signs that's under surveillance. I think you want some visible cameras. And maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be a real camera. You can buy pretty cheap dummy cameras for like $10. You can buy dummy security cameras. You can buy dummy trail cameras on Amazon or Walmart and, and lots of other places. So I would you know, maybe put some of those out and put your real cameras back inside the perimeter a little bit where they're close enough to capture some imagery, but they're, they're not easily accessible by somebody uh, checking out the edges of your property. And I, you, know, you see a lot of things out there as far as how to secure these kind of cameras from the big steel boxes to the cables to, you know, just bolt-in systems. I mean, what do y'all see as the most easy to use and the most effective? Yeah, it is, it's going to depend on the situation, right? Are you out in the plains? Or are you in the forest? But in general, if, if you can think kind of high, hidden, and hardened, um, kind of take those three steps. So, um, if you can put the cameras high, it's really going to help you out. If you have trees nearby or telephone poles or whatever it is, just get them out of reach of anybody who's going to be trespassing. It's probably going to be your best friend. 
and then obviously for overt camera or sorry for covert cameras keeping them hidden putting them in bushes or trees using camouflage cameras putting them in places where people won't necessarily look will, will certainly help you out and then finally uh, securing them yeah, your cheapest is just going to be some basic cable locks. Some cameras have, you can just put a little padlock on the on the latch so people can't open it up and take the SD card, uh, but they can still get to the camera, so it may not help you out much. Or you can use the full-up metal lock boxes like we have. You know, if you're out in the plains, you know, trying to secure some mule deer property or elk property, you're probably going to need things like the lock boxes to secure the cameras. Um, the other thing you can do is make sure cameras are looking at each other. So kind of have a web of cameras. So if they come up to one camera, they're captured by the other cameras. And like I mentioned earlier, this doesn't necessarily have to be real cameras. You can put up dummy cameras to fake a web of cameras to, to deter people from, from tampering with your cameras. Once you get this set up, I mean, how, how long of a shot do most cameras take a clear video or picture? I mean, if it's something you've got to use to identify somebody. Um, that's going to be, uh, uh, unfortunately, an it depends question. For, but for a typical trail camera, they can kind of see what your eyes see, right? You know, you can identify a vehicle from probably two, 300 feet away. But if you're trying to really identify somebody's face, then, you know, probably inside 20, 30 feet. The one thing to look at is all the trail cameras, uh, even the cellular connected cameras, do have different resolutions. Uh, some of them have very, you know, kind of one or two resolutions. Our cameras actually have six different resolutions. So we give the uh, the customers a lot of freedom to select high data versus low data, uh, image quality versus low quality. And then one thing to note is if it is a cellular camera, the imagery that's stored on the SD card on a camera is typically going to be a lot higher than what's transmitted over the cellular network. But like I said, typically, you know, think probably inside of 50 feet if you're trying to identify a person. But if it's a vehicle, you've, you know, out to a couple hundred feet probably. And if we're trying to pick a security camera versus the trail camera, what's the difference in terms of, of placing it on acreage? What features are we looking for? Yeah, it all depends on what you're trying to achieve. But honestly, trail cameras, especially cellular connected trail cameras, are actually a really good option for security. They're affordable. They don't put high loads on the data network. Um, so you can use them back in, in areas where you might not necessarily be able to put a security camera. But if you do have the option to use a real security camera where you can get things like real-time video, typically higher resolution, sometimes you can you know pan, tilt, and zoom it if that's something you really need. That's probably more for, you know, really high traffic areas, potentially a gate, you know, if you have a cabin or a duck blind, something like that, that you can, you know, you're really trying to keep an area, uh, eyes on a small area that's highly trafficked. But in general, you know, a trail camera is, is going to be a pretty adequate security camera in these remote properties. You know, you've mentioned cellular cameras several times, and I think a lot of hunters are using those nowadays uh, to be able to keep an eye on their game without having to disturb where they're monitoring their game from. And I would think those would be invaluable, especially with security, because, I mean, if somebody were to stumble across your camera and then they wanted to, they could damage that camera in, in such a way that you wouldn't be able to get that SD card out and have evidence. So, I mean, are you guys making both types? Is there a, is there a place for both types with security or is it, do you think it's just all cellular these days? I mean, I think cellular certainly has its benefits. And right now we, we only do cellular because like I said, um, we started in the ag market where we're monitoring really remote assets that are, you know, dozens of miles away with one or two cameras, right? Our, our customers don't typically put in a big network of cameras in a small area. But for, you know, you know a deer property in the forest is different, right? You probably want a network of cameras. 
you probably want some of them to be cellular so you can get the real-time alerts and like you said if, if the camera gets damaged or stolen then more than likely the the evidence has already been uploaded and it's on your phone already so even if it is stolen you still have the evidence with that said i realized cellular camera costs more both from the camera perspective and the the recurring costs of the cellular data so having cameras that just keep the the footage right there on the camera on the sd card is definitely a viable option especially if you're going to put up a, a large network of cameras how do you know if you're if it's going to work on your property i mean if if your phone works, will a cellular camera work? Is there any options for people that don't have service? I mean, Clint, like Clint's place comes to mind. When I've been out there, it's been pretty spotty service. Do they work better That's than a phone, kind. say? Or Yeah, I mean, what can you do to get around that if you don't have good good coverage? Yeah, certainly um, cameras have much bigger antennas than your cell phone. So we typically see about two to four bars of reception, more than you'll see on a cell phone standing uh, in the same place with our cameras. Uh, so we have a, a few different versions of cameras, especially the one we have that's got two pretty big antennas on it. If that's not enough, you can get high gain uh, unidirectional antennas. If you know where the cell tower's at, you can kind of mount a unidirectional antenna, you know, up the tree, you know, 10 or 15 feet pointed at the cell tower. You get a lot better reception, certainly than you would on your cell phone. With that said, I realize there's still areas um, where cell service is weak. Uh, so using the non-cellular cameras or potentially using a, you know, a point-to-point networked camera is an option. You know, we're looking in the future, we're looking at adding satellite. We're not there yet, but that's something we're looking at down the road. And for a lot of customers, T-Mobile is, they're putting out their new low, uh, low frequency network. It's in the 600 megahertz spectrum, uh, not to get into technical details, but low frequency travels farther. It goes through uh, trees better. It goes around hills better. So we're pretty optimistic about what T-Mobile's doing right now in general. Verizon is going to be your best coverage, but uh, I think that's going to be changing in the next few years. I have that conversation a lot with the Wi-Fi at the camp on the 2.4 gigahertz versus the 5, and everybody just glazes over when I start talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I already forgot what you were talking about. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I fell asleep. Sorry. Well, you know, hopefully everything we've talked about is going to prevent people from coming on your property. That's the goal is to keep them off in the first place. But what do we do if we if we do find trespassers on the property, like we talked about earlier, maybe you find a guy and he says he's trailing a deer. Maybe you catch somebody in the act of trespassing, regardless of if they were in the right or in the wrong or what, what the reason may be, what should somebody do? Because everybody's going to want to bow their chest out and, and make something happen. But, but really what, what should somebody do if they find trespassers on their property? Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's, it's obviously frustrating and we all get angry over these situations, but you know, most important thing is we, we never recommend, you know, confrontations if you can avoid it, obviously, like always prioritize your own safety. It's not worth losing your life over a deer or turkey as much as and that may hurt sometimes. But uh, like I said earlier, it's really nothing like being good friends with your neighbors uh, and the local law enforcement leave it to the professionals. You know, obviously you might find yourself in a situation where you run, bump into somebody and you're talking to them. So keep it friendly uh, as much as you can. Know your know your local laws. Tell them what the laws are, uh, that they are trespassing, that the fine that they're susceptible to. Uh, one thing of note, if they're carrying a weapon, a gun, or, or even a bow, that typically the fines are a lot higher than if they're just out there on foot. Um, but like I said, just keep it friendly. Um, and just make it clear that they are trespassing and, and, you know, hopefully that's enough to, uh, that they'll move on. Well, 
you know, like you said, keeping it friendly, you never know what that person's state of mind is. And, and you need to, I think, assume that that person uh, is, is not stable and deal with it accordingly. But if you do find someone on your property, uh, whether that's in person or with a camera, you know, I would think that the first step, if you if you find someone on your property, is to doc. I mean, document that, right? Do you need to take a photo? Do you take a photo of that person? Do you need to take a photo of maybe their license plate? I mean, what kind of documentation do you need, whether it's in person or with a camera, uh, like a cell camera, for example, to be able to prosecute someone for trespassing? Yeah, I mean, I think more is better, right? So, in general, if you get a clear picture of somebody on a camera, that's enough. Um, it's going to vary state by state, case to case, and like I said earlier, sometimes it comes down to who has the best lawyer. But if you get a clear picture of somebody, uh, that's enough. Uh, obviously, that can be challenging if somebody's out there hunting and they've got face paint on or a face mask and uh, or whatever it is. But the more you can document, the better. If you've got your smartphone on you or a camera, take pictures of their vehicle. Obviously, a license plate is something great to get, but even down to tire tracks and foot tracks, so you can see, uh, you know, what kind of the soles they have on their boots. Um, the more, the better, for sure. As far as choosing a camera, I know on the cellular based ones, some options will actually give you not only the, the image but also the location of the picture. You know, geo reference pictures, so that you can tell exactly where they were taken. I mean, is that an option that you recommend or that you guys offer? Yeah, certainly. I think GPS can be uh, a great option for helping you identify where the trespassing occurred. Uh, it certainly helps out with the evidence side of it. And also, it quite frankly, also helps you keep track of where your all cameras are because we do have customers who lose cameras, believe it or not. Um, so uh, I, I highly recommend considering GPS for security applications for sure. When selecting a trail camera for security, a couple other things to consider are uh, one is the type of flash. There's IR covert flash and there's white flash. Uh, both can be good for different use cases. Like we talked about kind of deterrence around the perimeter, you may want to consider white flash. The chances of your camera getting uh, found obviously go way up and getting stolen if you're using white flash, uh, but potentially it's going to help deter people off your property. Once we get back into the property more covert, then you probably want to use the uh, the IR um, no flash kind of cameras so people can't see the flashes as they're walking through the property. For capturing uh, license plates, obviously higher resolution is going to be better. Uh, one thing to note is um, the covert IR flash uh, actually is pretty poor at being able to see a license plate because how it reflects off the metal, essentially the metal just shows up as, as a light beam and you can't see it. So if you are trying to capture license plates, then the white flash is going to be a better option. And then finally, think about the field of view of the camera. I know a lot of hunters like to use the narrow view because uh, it does provide typically a little bit better resolution for what you're looking at, especially if you're looking down a game trail. But for security, it's typically a bit better to have a wide field of view uh, so that you can view a, a, a wider area, particularly on the perimeter of your property. Josh, those are all good points. Would you describe the cameras you guys make as as security cameras that someone could use as a trail camera? I mean, you know, if somebody's trying to do double duty, are some of those features that you talked about, is that something that they're going to have to select a specific type of camera to get? Or is that something that they can modify within the controls of the camera? Typically, that stuff is going to be built into the hardware. So it's either a white flash or an IR covert flash. There, there are really no cameras that have both. So 
you have to select it when you buy it. And same thing with the field of view. Uh, that's kind of built into the lens. Uh, for us, I would say actually we bought trail cameras and, or we, we manufacture trail cameras and we uh, use them for security and purposes and for monitoring remote assets. Um, obviously they can be used for hunting, um, but that's the way we went. We are developing a new camera uh, in partnership with the Air Force that is not a trail camera. It's much more of an enterprise grade kind of remote security and surveillance camera. Uh, I don't want to bore you with the technical details, but you know, it's a smart camera running artificial intelligence, all, all that kind of stuff. But um, that's much uh, more for our kind of enterprise customers. You know, Joe, the, the license plate aspect makes me think of something else. I mean, all oh, this is great. And, you know, luckily we don't have a lot of trespasser trespassing events in our field overall, but it, you know, it does give you a great peace of mind, but you can also use this for uh, monitoring activity during timber sales. Let's say you've got a gravel pit on your property and kind of pit activity where trucks are coming in and out or you're building a lodge and you're being charged by the hour and you want confirmation of when they got there and when they left. Cause you want to, you know, make sure that it matches the bill you got. All of these situations could be utilized or you could use these cameras for those to, you know, to make sure that 20 loads went out, you got paid for 20 loads. Uh, the guy got there at 9 a.m., said he left at 5, and you look on there and he left at 1, and you got charged at 5, and that's a conversation you need to have with him. So, you know, there's a lot of versatility here well beyond trespassing, and, and I'm sure uh, nobody's too mad when that monster butt walks in front of them either. <laughs> for sure. Glenn, I, you, you say that almost like a guy who's had to count a log truck or two in his day. Yeah. First few years of my career, I was doing timber sale audits. And uh, there's a lot of days when a, when a good camera pointed at the gate would have been a, a big help. No doubt. Well, Josh, you know, it's been interesting. And, and I think you've done a good job explaining, you know, how to prevent, how to deal with uh, trespassers uh, in, the, in the event that uh, you didn't prevent them getting onto your property. But, you know, undoubtedly, Folks need to take a look at what you guys offer if they're thinking about uh, selecting the best camera for their situation. I like that you pointed out that there's a different use for, for each different feature. So if folks want to look online, get in touch with you guys and talk about what's best for their property, where should they go? Yeah, certainly our website. We've got a lot of great information on there. Um, our website is www.barnowl.tech. That's .tech, one of those weird websites. So certainly you can find a lot of information there. We've got a couple great support agents, so feel free to give us a call or, or on chat. Our guys are always on chat, willing to help and can answer any questions anybody has for sure. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today, Josh. It's, it's been a pleasure, man. We wish you the best of luck with 2020 and 2021, going into 2021, and also your, your new launch. I can't wait to see uh, what you guys come up with. Yeah, uh, thank you. And uh, we're definitely rooting for a better 2021 than 2020 for sure. Clint, you know, I, I think all that's good advice. You definitely need to let your local law enforcement handle this. None of this should be construed as legal advice. But I, I think we covered a lot of the things that you can do to at least assist law enforcement uh, if this happens. And we don't, I don't run into this a lot. Do you, I mean, do you run into trespassing a lot? you know, working with landowners. I, I don't hear about it that much. I think you got to be a pretty bold individual to get out on somebody's property when you know you're not supposed to be there. Yeah. I mean, the experience I've had with it has been more times than not, it's been a mistake. And, you know, if you, if, you know, it's people that don't have clearly delineated boundaries 
it's rarely been an intentional aggressive thing that I've run into, but it's it's always good to be prepared and have what you need in place to, you know, in, in the event it does happen in whatever context that you've got the evidence you need to protect your rights and protect your property. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I, and I think the situations what I, that I've been involved in that there, where it was, you know, someone was trespassing knowingly intending to do harm via theft was, is what I've dealt with. They were going to do it no matter what you had up there. You know, there, there wasn't necessarily a, uh, anything that was going to deter them because they were in a pretty desperate situation. That, that's why I think that just being able to document what happened is so, so important. And I think there's plenty of options out there to do that. And folks, that's going to wrap it up this week for Hunting Land. As always, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next week. This week's show is brought to you by First South Farm Credit. First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. First South shares its profits with its borrowers in the form of a patronage refund, which lowers your cost of borrowing. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. And also brought to you by Wildlife Management Solutions. The experts at Wildlife Management Solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals. So give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com. And also SunSouth. From outdoor equipment, parts, service, accessories, SunSouth has you covered. Own the best for less. Visit SunSouth or SunSouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. SunSouth, for those that do. This week's show has been brought to you by Joe Baya and Clint Flowers, members of the top producing team at National Land Realty, the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation. Bottom line, we know land, and now is a great time to buy or sell. Want to know why? Shoot us an email at pros at landhunting.com or call us at 855-NLR-LAND.